I'm Maria Bartiromo. I am an anchor and journalist at Fox News and Fox Business. I've got three shows, Mornings with Maria on the Fox Business Network, Sunday Morning Futures on Fox News Channel, and Maria Bartiromo's Wall Street on Fox Business. You just have to be there, do your job, you know, be tough, know your stuff. I made a promise that I would own the job and know it better than anybody. And that's something that I think everybody needs to do. It definitely has gotten better, but you know, you see the number of CEOs in the C-suite today versus men, we're still a major minority. So we're getting there, but we're not there yet. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Maria Bartiromo is an award-winning TV journalist and anchor of the Fox Business Network and Fox News. The first reporter to broadcast live daily from the New York Stock Exchange, she reveals how a decades-long career in television has shaped her view of money and success. So, Maria, you worked as a coat check girl when you were a young, youngster. What did you learn from that experience? Oh, I learned a lot. Well, it was my father's restaurant, the Rex Manor in Brooklyn, and I was the coat check girl. We would have weddings and bar mitzvahs and, and, and parties. I learned how to deal with people. I learned service, the service business. And it's important, um, I think, in all assets of business to understand your customer. So I learned how to deal with the customer or how to be effective with the customer. I was young, but I definitely uh, learned some very good lessons about uh, work, and uh, I used those lessons throughout my career. I heard you got fired from Kleinfeld when you were 16 years old. What do you tell us about that? I did. <laughs> oh, I had a great little job after school. I was the um, I was the stock girl at Kleinfeld's department store, Kleinfeld's wedding shop. It was just a few blocks away from my house in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And um, my job was to go into the rooms after the brides tried on all of the dresses and bring the dresses back to the stock room. And, you know, they were really heavy dresses, so it was it was a hard job as a kid. But what I would do was I was always dreaming of my own big white wedding. So before I took the dresses back to the stock room, I would try on the dresses, and it got me in trouble. And so my boss walked in on me three times, and on the third time, she said to me, go home, you're not serious about this job. So there were so many beautiful dresses that I would see, and I was always alone in the stock room. So I would put the dress on, put the veil on, check it out, and then I would undress and bring the dresses back to the stock room. But my boss kept walking in on me. It was such a sad day. I cried all the way home. I remember walking home crying. I can't believe I got fired. But I learned so much from that experience. Do your job. I was expected to bring the dresses back to the stock room, and I wasn't doing it in an efficient manner. I was trying on the dresses, dreaming about my own wedding. So do your job. It's, it's like the basic lesson for anybody in work. <laughs> That's great. Uh, you were the first to report live from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange on a daily basis. How did you cope with some men's resistance to that? Well, um, I, you know, elbowed back. <laughs> you know, I definitely felt that there were a lot of um, friends and allies who wanted me down there. Most importantly, the CEO, Dick Grasso, wanted to, um, you know, demystify what was going on on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. So he allowed us down there, allowed me to be on the floor. But it was really new to all involved. And it was new to, obviously, the men on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And they were in their own bubble. They were doing their trades and doing their work. And they didn't want, first of all, a woman in their face and certainly a reporter with a camera. So part of me understood where their anger was coming from. But I think what I mostly did was 
I tried not to be in everybody's faces. I tried to leave when they asked me to leave, but I always came back. And I always tried to get as much information as I could out of them so that I could communicate it to the public. I remember one time um, I was, I had heard that my boss, Jack Welch, who was the CEO of General Electric, GE owned CNBC, was coming down to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And I thought, wow, what a great break for me. I'm going to be able to be the one to show Jack around and tell him everything that goes on down here about GE stock. And I had met George, who was the specialist in GE stock. And George really took me under his wing when I first got there. He showed me where the order flow was coming from, where the big buyers were, told me how he did his job as the market maker, bringing buyers together with sellers for GE. So I thought, this is great. Jack is coming down next week. I'll go over to George and I'll ask George if he can tell Jack everything he told me about where the order flow is and stuff. I said, you know, Jack is going to love this. This is great. And I get to be the one to do it. So one day, it was a quiet day. And I walked over to the post of GE. And it was only like, I don't know, 25 guys or so in earshot. And George didn't look busy at all. They were just standing there watching the market. And I walked over and I said, George, to tell him about Jack. And one of the guys in the crowd, Mike Robbins was his name. May he rest in peace. He's he's passed. But he said to me, go home, run along. This is not your business. This is not going to go on your little TV show. We're doing big business here. And I was so mortified. And you know how that feeling is when you get knots in your stomach. You don't know what to say. I've got 25 people watching me waiting for a response. So I just strengthened, looked at him and said, don't speak to me that way. And I turned around and I basically ran away. I mean, I left. But the point is, is I came back and I kept coming back. And I went back to George later that day and everybody felt so bad for me. They knew how mortified I was. The problem with Mike Robbins was I later learned Mike was on the board. Mike was a really important player. He had his own $2 broker business. He was the biggest uh, trader in GE. And everybody was afraid of him. For the next several years, every time I passed Mike Robbins, he said something to undermine me. Usually it was, huh, save your money. Like, you're not going to go anywhere. You better save your money. And so I just took it and I just kept going. And I did, I did not want to get into a tangle with Mike Robbins because, like I said, he was a big boss. Everybody knew him. And I knew that, you know, he wasn't a fan. Later that day, when he yelled at me on the floor, I called up Dick Grasso and I said, you know, Dick, this is not right. You allowed me to come down here. Why am I getting harassed by these people in front of everybody? I'm so embarrassed what he did to me. He said, OK, Maria, come up after the show and I want you to talk to Mike Robbins in person. OK. I went up to Dick's office. I sat there knee to knee with Mike Robbins. And for 15 minutes, all he did was belittle me. Look, I've never seen your little TV show, but stay out of my way. Don't come around here. My business is not your business. It will not go on your little TV show. We agreed to disagree. I left. And then, like I said, for years, he kept undermining me, throwing little lines my way. One day, the market was crashing. It was after the dot-com boom and bust. I needed to get on camera right away. I needed to. I used to walk around the building just not to pass Mike Robbins. I did not want to hear his comments. So one day... I had to get to my spot. I walked by him. As usual, he said the same thing to me. Huh, save your money. The market was plummeting. I turned around to him. I said, no, you save your money. And I thought, yes, I got him back. That's great. And so I walked to my spot. I did my shot. Everything was fine. 
it really wasn't because he kept undermining me and belittling me for years. And every time I was talking to any trader, that guy would get blasted. So it was really ruining my credibility as well. So it was a really tough situation. All I did was I sucked it up. I kept going. I tried to ignore him, but he didn't want me there. Years later, fast forward, Mike Robbins left the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I was so happy when he left because I had that, you know, off my back. Years later, I was invited to a, a dinner for Goldman Sachs. I went to the dinner with Bob Hormatz, the vice chairman, then the vice chairman of Goldman. We're at this beautiful restaurant, Danielle in Manhattan. I'm having a nice time meeting all these Goldman sources. I'm making more sources on Wall Street. All of a sudden, corner of my eye, Mike Robbins walks in. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, Mike Robbins is here. He obviously trades with Goldman. Let me just backpedal out of here. I'm trying to leave the party. I just want to get out of Dodge. I don't want to see this guy. Next thing, he taps me on the shoulder. Maria, it's Mike Robbins. I said, oh, hello. How are you? He said, Maria, I just want you to know, I'm sorry I harassed you all those years. I still haven't seen your little TV show, but I like your column in Business Week magazine. You're doing a good job. And I thought, wow. And I felt so good about it. And I said, you know what, Mike? It's fine. Thank you for saying that. Let's forget the whole thing. I'm happy to just shake your hand. And that was that. And I came away from that experience saying, you know what? Things can be tough. Things can be tough for a woman in a man's world. There's no doubt about it. But you have to make sure you know your stuff. You have to make sure you own the job. And that's what happened with me and Mike Robbins. Mike Robbins intimidated me so much that I knew that if I didn't know my stuff backwards and frontwards, I was not getting by. I was not getting any credibility, any respect down here on the floor. So it just made me stronger. But there's no doubt that women do have, in many cases, a harder path when you're in a man's world. Do you think it's gotten any easier since? I think it has, particularly on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. There are more women there. There are more women traders. And certainly I'm proud to say there are many more women uh, female reporters. Um, I helped to certainly open that path for, for women to go on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. You know, I used to tell my assistants at the time, don't show up with these little outfits, short skirts, and anything to get them looking at you and peer, you know, peering over you. Just You just have to be there, do your job, you know, be tough, know your stuff. The best thing that happened to me as a result of Mike Robbins is I made a promise that I would own the job and know it better than anybody. And that's something that I think everybody needs to do in their own in their own careers. It definitely has gotten better. But, you know, you see the number of CEOs in the C-suite today versus men. We're still a major minority. So we're getting there, but we're not there yet. I think a lot of women just get fed up and, and leave. Well, I think so, too. I mean, it is hard. You know, another guy, Selden Clark, who, oh, my God, he was just horrible. During the during the sell-off uh, in stocks, he came up behind me. He didn't like me talking about AIG. I guess he was invest- He was trading AIG, and he was on the buy side. And I was doing a story that was negative about something that was in the Wall Street Journal that day on AIG. It was outside the AIG post. What does he do? He had this handheld machine. It's about the size of a mini iPad, but it's thick. It's not thin like an iPad, very thick. And that's, he, it was a handheld. So he was walking around the floor putting trades in his handheld. I'm, on the, I'm in front of the post of AIG. He comes behind me and rams into me. And the metal iPad thing goes into my back, hurt my back. I was live on air. I was like, whoa. 
I got off the air. I realized what had happened. I called my boss. I had to go to medical at the New York Stock Exchange. I had to have a sick day the next day because he really hurt me. I mean, people really, it was a big change to have reporters on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And I can't underestimate, you know, I can't uh, overestimate that enough because people don't realize the big change that happened when women started having a bigger presence on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. It really was a boys club. And there were a lot of people who did not want me there. I have to give kudos to Dick Grasso. He knew that the world was changing, that individual investors were investing and wanted information. He knew that there was this huge individual investor empowerment movement. He wanted to demystify it, and he wanted me down there to, to, to help him do that. But there certainly was a, a, a strong group that didn't want that at all. Coming up, Maria Bartiromo talks about how an established career has prepared her for the evolving media landscape. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal. You've said you live your life in a fishbowl. How do you not let the mean comments hurt you? Well, it's a good question because the truth is it is hurtful. And I, I can't say it doesn't hurt because, you know, I mean, something has happened to our society where all of a sudden it's okay to go on Twitter and go on, you know, Facebook or wherever, and just start hurling insults at people and just start having opinions, that's hurtful. There's no doubt about it. But I've gotten to a situation or a position where I believe in myself and I believe in what I'm doing. I am a journalist through and through, and I will always seek the truth. And I know the truth hurts for some people. So I just, you know, know that you can't really believe the real positive press on the way up, and you can't really believe the negative press on the way down. And if someone takes a shot at me, believe me, there have been umpteen times when I called Kaylee um, in, in uh, public relations, and I said, Kaylee, I'm answering this person, and I'm going to say this, that, and this. And she says, Maria, don't. Calm down. Relax. This, too, will pass. Because my first instinct is to just, you know, give him the business. So... I can't say it doesn't hurt. It, it is hurtful. All I can do is try to learn from every comment, take a step back and say, wait a second, is there any truth to what this person is saying? Do I need a lesson? Am I learning something from this? If it's just bluster because that person doesn't like the truth, well, then that's their problem, not mine. So I try hard to ignore anything like that. Plus, I have a fantastic um, audience who is rooting for me. And my viewers um, know what I'm trying to do, and they support me. So I've got that, too. So sometimes with the negative comments come comes the support from my viewers, and that I appreciate so much. What do you say to people who say you've become too political? Well, I say, look, everything is political. I'm sorry. Um, look, when I was at CNBC for 20 years, I did not need to study policy. I did not need to study politics. I spent my days looking at corporate balance sheets and the stock market. And I learned a ton. I spent my days building out CNBC across the world, going to Europe, Asia, 
all these places to try to build the CNBC brand. That's what I was focused on. When I left, one of the reasons I left is because I felt that there was too much of a focus on the stock market. Frankly, nobody looks at the stock market and, like an issue of the day and says, well, what is the stock going to do? When there's something important happening, they're saying, well, who's impacted? How am I impacted? You know, that's what they're focused on. They're not looking at what's the stock market. So one of the reasons I left CNBC was because I wanted to expand my portfolio. And I can honestly tell you, in the last five years, I have grown. I've grown incredibly. I feel more informed today than I ever have been. And that's because of studying policy and politics. So today, you see Donald Trump, the Republicans, the Democrats, the, the, the fight between them on every channel, in every newspaper. It's become much more political. Today, policy really matters. So I've studied policy and its impact. I've studied politics, and I'm reporting on it, and I'm talking about certain things that, yes, maybe are political, but that's because that's what's in the news and what's top of mind. Also, I do feel like when it comes to certain subjects, I have been around 30 years at this point, and I do have an opinion on certain things. I actually understand what tax policy means to an economy, and I understand what deregulation means to an economy. So I've become less afraid to say, you know what? Cutting those regulations actually moved the needle on growth. So if that's being political, I'm sorry, but I'm actually reporting what's accurate and what's happening in the news today. So I guess that's my answer to that. About five years ago, you signed a contract with Fox. How did that change your financial life? It did change my financial life, obviously. Um, but I've always been following certain principles to try to create wealth. And so over my career at CNBC and at Fox, I've always tried to come up with the right principles to understand how to save and how to build long-term wealth. I heard you still got up at three in the morning to get ready for your show. Why are you still working so hard? I love what I do and I, I wanna win. And I know that in order to win, it requires hard work. I mean, I know that better than anybody. And, and I want to um, have my shows be successful. We're celebrating some records on all my shows actually, Sunday Morning Futures, Mornings with Maria, and. Uh, MB's Wall Street, and it's very competitive. So that's why I work so hard. And also, I'm lucky because I love what I do. I, I love my job, and I love, I'm having the most intellectually stimulating conversation I've ever had right now. What type of investor are you? I'm a long term investor. I'm a big saver. I've, I learned from an early age to save my money. Um, I have a 401k, and I have an IRA, I have retirement accounts. Um, and I set it up in exchange-traded funds, ETFs. I think that that's the best way you can get diversification in the stock market. I also have also been very cognizant of the fact that along my career, I interviewed all types of CEOs and I never wanted to own any of their stocks for conflict reasons, obviously. So the only stocks I've ever owned was GE, my husband's company, and Fox. Um, and I own ETFs. And like I said, saving and cash, that's definitely um, a, big, a big part of my portfolio. Time now for your secrets. I'm Maria Bartiromo from Fox Business Network and Fox News Channel, and my money secret is saving. You must save money every two weeks out of your paycheck. Pay yourself first, and also it's vital that you do 401ks and IRAs so that you have money allocated away just for retirement. 
Be sure to check out our ebook based on the Secrets podcast. WSJ subscribers can download their copy of Resilience How 20 Ambitious Women Use Obstacles to Fuel Their Success for free on WSJ.com today. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening.